this morning we are going to be talking about letters. So I'm going to read a, read a little something from a letter. But more basically, I am in Birmingham because injustice is here. Just as the prophets of the 8th century BC left their villages and carried their, thus saith the Lord, far beyond the boundaries of their hometowns, and just as the Apostle Paul left his village of Tarsus and carried the gospel of Jesus to the far corners of the Greco-Roman world, so am I compelled to carry the gospel of freedom beyond my hometown. Like Paul, I must constantly respond to the Macedonian call for aid. Moreover, I am cognizant of the interrelatedness of all communities and states. I cannot sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what happens in Birmingham. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. That's a good line. <laughs> Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Never again can we afford to live with the narrow, provincial, outsider agitator idea. Anyone who lives inside the United States can never be considered an outsider anywhere within its bounds. Anybody know who wrote that? Yes, it was Martin Luther King. You can get your prize after this. That was uh, a letter uh, from a Birmingham jail, um, which is you know, one of the most famous things he's, he's probably ever written, or at least one of the mo most well-known things he's ever written. And I thought it was interesting that he talks about Paul so much in this, and uh, the lectionary for today actually has one of Paul's um, intros to his letter in it. And so we're going to be going through the, the, uh, his letter to, the first, uh, to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, the first letter. Um, over the next few weeks, and uh, it's interesting that it gives us the first nine verses today. So it's really this uh, intro and greeting, which in many ways might not, re I, I read it with Jesse earlier this week, and I was kind of like, oh, that's kind of a boring thing to put in the lectionary. It's just like this letter greeting, and that might not really be that good to talk about on Sunday. So that's what I'm going to talk about today, so we have that to look forward to. Uh, does anyone here still write letters? Like old-fashioned, pen and paper. Jesse, no you don't. Jess, you write letters? You write letters? I know you write letters since I got a letter from you one time. Wow, that's, a, that's 1967? Uh, that's amazing. Um, why do we write letters? I mean, why, why, why write a letter? Okay. Because <laughs> you can text? To, to connect? Yeah, to connect. I feel like when I write a letter, I actually, in some ways, I don't know if I mean it more, but it, it seems a bit more uh, permanent. It's like permanent, right? It's, it's something that you can really touch. So, so whenever we... Um, read the, this letter to, to the Corinthians, uh, you know, be mindful that this is, this is a letter. This is, we're reading, in, in essence, someone's mail, and it's kind, of, um, it's kind of interesting to think about, you know, 2,000 years later, I mean, the, the author of this letter would have never imagined that on a continent that he wasn't even aware of, 
people would be uh, reading his mail. So be careful what you write in letters, because 2,000 years from now, people might be just reading that in church. So, All right, let's read 1 Corinthians uh, 1, 1 through 9. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who are in every place, call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you, because the grace of God has been, that has been given to you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of Jesus Christ. God is faithful by him. You were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. All right. Might not seem like a lot is there, but in actuality, uh, he, he's doing a lot in just these nine verses, which is kind of actually really funny. I think sometimes it's hard to, uh, to get, you know, first century humor, but this is like Michael Scott office level humor right here. Uh, it's just, there's a lot of Christ Jesus and Jesus Christ in there that kind of, uh, um, I don't know, we'll, we'll, we'll go through. So Corinth, just to give us some context, Corinth is uh, kind of a, a port city of sorts. It's like right on this peninsula. I wasn't very good at uh, geography, but uh, there's water on either side uh, going to two different places, and the city had actually, um, I think just 50 years before, it was destroyed, and so this city is experiencing uh, this rebuilding phase whenever uh, Paul is, is going through there and starting this church, and then now he's writing back to it, so it's this booming uh, city of a lot of economic activity, a lot of um, rebuilding going on, uh, but there's a large disparity between rich and poor, and there are a ton of religions, there are a ton of uh, cultures mixing in this city, and so there's all, all sorts of activity that gets, um, that makes this church fairly complicated. And what, we've, what we know from this community that Paul starts, so he's writing to this church that he is the founder of and has now left, and what he's doing in this letter is responding. The only time in the Bible where uh, Paul is actually responding to an initial letter. So he writes 1 Corinthians because this church wrote Paul a letter. And in this letter that they wrote Paul, this is also like, we're, you have to think, this is like 30 people. So a church of roughly, the 30 to 50 people, a church roughly uh, this size, writing to Paul. And what they write and we'll find out more as we go along the next few weeks, is they write all of their problems in this letter. So they go through this laundry list of all of their divisions, all of their issues. So they disagreed, just to give you an idea. They disagreed and fought on baptism, the Lord's Supper, the resurrection, speaking in tongues, proper leadership roles, holy, the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts. There was a lot of sexual immorality, and so, um, but other than that, they were great. They were really, 
they had it going. They were a great church. Just at 30 people, they had all, all of these issues. Um, so when we look at his prayer, this is where it gets funny, I promise. Uh, so when, whenever we look at his letter in verse 4, he starts, so generally these sorts of letters would follow kind of a pattern, and he's filling in the blank of what a first century letter would, would kind of look like. But he starts praying in verse 4, and he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given to you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched by him in speech and knowledge. They've been like, all they've been doing is arguing. So whenever he goes through this laundry list of, of praying, he's basically praying through all of the things that they say that they have problems about. Uh, so in, in many ways you can imagine uh, this probably would have been read aloud by you know one of the few people that could read at the in that community and as he's reading uh this letter you can kind of just imagine the church uh cringing because they see all of this division and in his prayer what is he doing he's uniting them in kind of this like backhanded sarcastic way of um no you you're a church you you can uh you know in some ways do this uh, but you need to you need to get beyond all of, all of this stuff that you are, are divided by. So he does this with his intro, fairly clever. Uh, he kind of mocks them. And uh, if we have it up on uh, the screen, look at verse um, two. He does this. He says, "The church of God that is in Corinth, and all those who are sanctified in Jesus Christ, called to be saints." What's interesting about this is he uses in this translation that I'm using. Uh, I picked because it's the best one in English that does this. He says, sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. And this is in uh, the, the original, uh, or in, in Greek, the original Greek, but in Greek, um, would have kind of been a mocking way of, he doubles the holy in this, essentially. And so he basically says, for all you holy, holy ones in Corinth, basically just mocking their um, their overinflated sense of being holy. And, and one thing that he gets at, and we'll see as we go through this, is that they see um, that they believe that being a saint uh, happens through some sort of uh, moral standing. And that sainthood, in, in a sense, is this destination that they have to then reach or attain through this you know, faith in Jesus Christ. And he, he mocks them and, and calls them, oh, you're your holy, holy one? Okay, well, look at all, all of your divisions here. You've got some, you got some issues that need to be worked through, but you don't think you have any issues, right? You, you're, you're, you're a holy, holy. Um, so he uses a, a few things here. He, he says that they're called to be saints, and he uses this uh, language, called into, called, Paul, like referring to himself, in the third person, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. He sees himself uh, as, in a sense, a letter, a package, someone being sent by God to this work. It's not a individualistic, I'm attaining some sort of like power or prestige or sainthood because of the way I live or what I believe, and then I reach this place of faith or moral superiority. No, he's, he frames himself the one that started this church as someone who's in a vulnerable position, someone that's just b 
being sent by God to service. So he says, you are to be, you are to be called saints together. So this is, you know, sainthood is not a, a moral standing. It is something that is communal. It is, it is, uh, it's not something that um, should be a source of division. So that's how, e- that's how it was so easy for them, in a sense, to be divided because they were all individuals uh, on this journey to, to sainthood that would then, you know, make them be in a place of superiority to their, uh, to their community. So you have all of these different divisions within this one small church because of a, a, a weird framework that they were operating with on what it meant to be a person of faith. Um, so there's this uh, story. Has anybody ever heard of uh, Grace Thomas? Anybody ever heard of anybody named Grace Thomas? So um, I'm going to read this story. So some years ago, there was a funeral held for Grace Thomas in First Baptist Church of Decatur, Georgia. Now, Grace was the daughter of a Birmingham, Alabama streetcar conductor and his wife. When she married in the late 1930s, she moved to Atlanta, took a clerking job in some state governmental offices, and through her work, she developed an interest in law and politics. And so she enrolled at a local law school and took night classes. Uh, After years of of part-time study, she was a student, mom, she had a full-time job. Uh, She finishes her law degree, and um, her family... uh, was wondering what she was going to do next, and uh, they were fairly shocked when she said that she was going to uh, enter the race to be the governor of Georgia, 1954. And that year, there were nine candidates uh, for governor, and uh, eight men in grace, all right? Um, But there was only one issue in in 1954 in uh, the governor race for Georgia, uh, Brown versus the Board of Education. You know, this case earlier that year um, saw the Supreme Court declared racially separate but equal schools unconstitutional, and they, you know, paved the way for integration in in public schools. And so eight candidates spoke out in a certain way uh, about this issue, Uh, and Grace was the only one that supported this issue. Her campaign slogan was, say Grace at the polls. But... uh, not very many people did say grace at the polls, and she finished in last place. Uh, so her family, after all of this, was very relieved that she had done her thing, she had gotten this out of her system, but eight years later, in 1962, she ran for governor again. Uh, and by then, the civil rights movement was gaining a lot of momentum, and her message you know, of racial harmony uh, was uh, very controversial. She received death threats all the time. Her family traveled with her as she campaigned, and in order to provide you know, some sense of protection for her. Um, she finished in last place. Um, but her, her campaign is this uh, amazing testimony. And one day, Grace made a, a campaign appearance uh, in a small town in Louisville, Georgia. And in, in those days, uh, the town centerpiece in, in Louisville was um, in this town square. It wasn't a, a courthouse or a war memorial, but it was an old slave market. Uh, a tragic and evil place uh, where human beings were bought and sold. Uh, And she chose this slave market as a site for her campaign speech. And she stood in the very spot where people were auctioned off uh, and this hostile crowd gathered around as she's giving the speech. Um, And she said, quote, the old has passed away and the new has come. This place right here 
pointing to the, the market. It represents about all our past, uh, which we must now repent. A new day is here when Georgians, white and black, can join hands and work together. And this is uh, you know, really provocative in 1962 in the South, and so people were really upset when she said this. Uh, and so, um, you know, you can imagine uh, the first person that shouted out said, are you communist? Exactly like that. Um, and uh, she paused and she said, no, I'm not. Uh, and then the guy, the guy goes, well then, where'd you get those damned ideas? And she paused again and um, she simply pointed to a nearby church steeple she said, I got them right over there in Sunday school. A, a, an amazing and challenging picture of um, what a message of um, reconciliation is a process, it's a journey. Um, she stood for uh, one of our most potent forms and uh, areas in our, in our country where we need the continued work of reconciliation. It's a journey, and like the people in Corinth that didn't realize that this process of reconciliation, the process of becoming a person of faith, of living deeply, uh, it's not some moral high ground that you get to attain, but it's a communal journey together. It takes time, it's not easy, and it happens within small communities. Uh, this is something that we all participate in in this church family and it's also the the work of reconciliation that we participate in politics and culture outside of this place it's all stems from this place of faith uh, it happens if, it, if we if we do it right it happens where the church steeple is even though we don't really have like a steeple members we'll work on getting one of those uh, but you know you understand what I'm saying that the church in Corinth had all of these internal problems they had a lot of cultural issues in their, in their context as well that, that caused problems for them, and they made life complicated. Uh, but I think sometimes we think that, uh, you know, 2017, we live in a different world with different problems and that sort of thing, but, but really when we come down to it, uh, we're all faced with the same challenge, with the same work of inclusion, reconciliation, service, and love, which all stems from the faith that we have been given, the faith that we are called to, um, not the faith that we somehow have to, to muster ourselves so that then we can be really proud of ourselves. So um, when we think of sainthood, I always think of like saint, you know, like, you know, really like iconic um, art when I think of saints. But it's just, it's just a word that means uh, that you are set apart, that we are called to a life, a life that is characterized by service and love. Um, and this is something that the church in Corinth didn't really understand, and Paul kind of, you know, he's sarcastic and, um, you know, gives it to him a little bit in this, uh, in this intro. So what, what type of community as Mission Hills are we called to be? What type of community are we called into? Uh, you know, we think sometimes we have unique divisions or unique problems, and, or, you know, we turn on the news and we think that the world has more problems or that it's somehow worse than it used to be. Um, but it's not. Those are things that just tend to distract us. Um, we try to muster up the strength to be 
good little saints ourselves, holy, ethical, upright. Um, but when we do this, we have to realize that that's a move towards individualism, which can be really easy for us to do in our culture. It's all about the individual. It's all about pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, that sort of thing. Good Texas message for you right there. But that's also, as, as people of faith, that move to individualism is a move of division, okay? Uh, that makes it a lot easier for us to make the choice to point fingers, whether that's against people in our own community or outside, uh, and it just totally goes against our, our mission as Christians. Paul opens up his letter by calling himself apostle. Apostle is just a fancy word for a person to be called, a person to be sent. Uh, and it is only taking that posture, that posture of vulnerability, that we have to let our guard down, that we are, we are to be sent out in the world. Um, it's only in that posture vulnerability that we can really understand our deep our deep purpose whatever it is for us individually this purpose though is your purpose but it's a shared purpose Uh, it's much easier it's always going to be much easier to isolate ourselves it's much much easier to gather around a cause that we think is holy because then we can look down at others who don't see things our way Uh, but paul and and i think god laugh at this right that's exactly what's happening in this section, is Paul and God are laughing at the church in Corinth for all of their divisions, uh, for all of the things that they have missed the point on, right? It's not so serious that you can recover from this, you can reconcile, you can bridge the divide. This is something we can laugh at, all right? And so whenever we have our own problems, whenever we have our own conflicts and struggles, um, there are things that we have to solve and reconcile, but we can laugh at them. We can, we can solve this. It's not too big to overcome. Same thing goes with cultural issues, uh, politics. These are things that, if we just shape our perspective, if we just remember that we are called and sent by God, these are, th- these are uh, bridges that we can, uh, that we can build. Um, Paul reminds us that this is, it's only holy, holy behavior, okay? It's only because you think you're better than you actually are. Um, and that's a, dis- a disease that divides. Paul reminds us that we are all saints, but that none of us are saints unless we are all saints together. Let's pray. Lord, you remind us this morning that what we really have to give thanks for in the church are not our strengths, but our broken places. And it is because uh, it's in these broken places that holiness that is given to us by you shines through us. Um, We give thanks to to you um, not for each other necessarily, but that your grace will shine through in our weak parts as a community. And as we move through a a moral muddle, may we listen to your call and work for reconciliation. can stand there's a world at war lost in suffering silent casualties oh god grant us peace 